Lord, as we turn to look at these couple of amazing verses, packed with so much uh, truth and challenge, we ask that your spirit would take those things that we need to hear and apply them to our hearts. That through your spirit and your word, both written and living, we would become more the people you want us to be. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been spending a, a few weeks in Romans and having a look at, at different uh, moments in the, the story of Romans in its great sweep. And uh, we've done a little bit in chapter 5, a, a few, we spent three weeks in chapter 8, and we're just touching here uh, on a chapter 12. And uh, we've been reminded several times that Paul quite likes this word, therefore. Uh, he sort of puts it in in different times and places, and uh, it seems to act like a little, a little hinge, a moment when something is changing from this side to another side. Something in his argument is, is moving from one step to another. And here we've got one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... He seems to almost be asking people to look back right at the beginning of the book and say, remember where you were, remember where we were in that rather dark place where uh, he describes both Jew and Gentile and the way that uh, regardless of whether we knew the truth, whether we had the law or we didn't, we end up being in a place where we have all fallen short of the glory of God. He even tells us later in the, in the letter that uh, because we have fallen short of the glory of God, therefore we are sinners and therefore the wages of sin are death. We are in quite a predicament. But there is this beautiful section in the middle of the, of the, re, of the book where he talks about Jesus coming, his sacrifice, his resurrection, and the fact that we have been found, that God has reached out to us, and now we have the opportunity of being in Christ, that the judgment of God has fallen not on us, but on him. And because of that, we have new life, that sins are forgiven, and life is granted anew. But more than that, more than even that good news, God has sent his spirit into us to fill us, to give us the taste of what lies ahead so that we are now part of his new family. We are adopted as his children, that we have the gift of the spirit, that we have the joy of belonging to his people. Therefore, I urge you, look back, Paul says, look back at everything I have told you. Look back at everything God has done for you, created you, redeemed you, indwelt you by his Holy Spirit, adopted you into his family, given you the first fruits of the new creation, so that as the whole of creation groans as in childbirth, 
So what they are waiting for is the, is the revealing of the glorious freedom of the children of God. In other words, that we have one foot in what God has begun and that we belong there and that when the new creation comes finally, when the new heavens and the new earth come, we will step into it as the glorious children of God. Created, redeemed, indwelt, promised. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, look back at everything he has done. And then offer. You see, Paul is going to say some really amazing things. But he's not going to tell people to do it because they ought to. He's not going to tell them to do it because they should. He's going to tell them to do it as a simple response to the goodness of God. He's not going to tell people what they should or should not do. He's, going, he's inviting people to look back at all that God has done for us and then to offer. And what are we called to offer? To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Or as some translations say, to offer yourselves as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God. It's quite an offer. It's quite a response, isn't it? And it only works if we start with this point. This point that it is based on the goodness of God and everything that he has done for us. If we are going to offer ourselves the entirety of ourselves, surely we have got to know into whose hands we are placing ourselves. We're not going to take a step like this just because it seems like a good idea. We have to be sure, don't we? And that's why Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... It's really important to know, to see, to embrace again all that God has done for us in Christ. Otherwise, what follows simply sounds like something, like a sort of moral lesson. You must do this because you must do this. You must do this because it's a good idea. It's, that is not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, look, look at what God has done for us. Look at where we were. Look at where we are. Look at what Jesus has done. Look at the gift of the Spirit. Look at the groaning of the new creation. Look at the promise what lies ahead. Look at all of this. And then, if you are convinced by that, offer. Offer your bodies you know, there was a, a great uh, writer in the, in the sort of, uh, in, in the Reformation called John Calvin. Okay, and John Calvin said this. He said, by bodies, by bodies, 
He, Paul, means not only our skin and bones, but the totality of which we are composed. The totality of which we are composed. The Christian is called to offer themselves, the whole of themselves, in our concrete life, into the hands of Christ. Offer your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing. So this is not a list of commands, not a list of do's and don'ts, where most of the do's start with don't, okay? It's not like that. It's an invitation to live beyond rules. An invitation to put who we are into the hands of God. And so I think it's really important to remember this for lots of reasons, but especially in our context where we are here as St. Christopher's. Now, please don't misunderstand me. Anything that I'm going to say now is not a knock, okay? You know that I have said many times from the front of church, one of the best things about living in Spark Hill is that you meet people of other faiths or of no faith who are more like Jesus than you are. Okay? That's one of the best bits about living around here. And it brings you back down to earth and it makes you think, Lord, have mercy on me. But we do live in a context and a culture where one faith, Islam, is very dominant. Ramadan is coming over the, over the horizon. I find Ramadan really difficult. Okay, for lots of reasons, I find it quite intimidating. And when I look out at my Muslim friends, I think, you know, gosh, they're, they're really good at this. They pray five times a day. They fast during Ramadan. They've got to go to Mecca once a year, once in their lifetime. They've, they've, and, and all these different things about their faith. Isn't it? It's great, isn't it? It's really clear. It's really clear what they've got to do. And sometimes I get into conversations and, and they say, well, what, what is it about your faith? They say, well, we, we read the Bible. And, but, you know, you can be a Christian. You don't have to read the Bible. And, and we pray, but we haven't really got any rules about when you pray. And yes, we belong to the church, but, you know, if you don't come to church, you can still be a Christian. Um, and we don't have to go on pilgrimage. And when it comes to Lent, most Christians give up chocolate, you know, and it, it sounds rubbish. Honestly, in conversation, it just sounds rubbish. And then I hear this verse. Offer your very selves as a sacrifice living, holy, and pleasing. This is a life lived beyond rules. This is a call so radical, so complete, so holistic, that you cannot reduce it to rules and regulations. Jesus doesn't want us to do certain things at certain times, however wonderful those things might be. He wants us to be a whole new person. A new life, 
a new calling, a new being, too radical and too revolutionary to set down in rules. Friends, our call is to live a life beyond rules. You see, because we are no longer our own, we have become sacrifices. We have been handed over into the hands of God. We are no longer our own. We, our, we are his. This is what one writer says. He says, the Christian, already God's by right of creation and by right of redemption, the death of Jesus on the cross, has yet again to become God's by virtue of his or her own free surrender of themselves. And this self-surrender has, of course, to be continually repeated. A handing over of ourselves into the hands of God. Far more radical and actually far more difficult than keeping rules. And this sacrifice is living. Not just because God calls us to continually go on living as his people, but living in the sense of sharing in the life of God. One of the best loves, uh, verses in, in John's gospel is where Jesus says in John chapter 10, doesn't he? I have come that you may have life, life in all its life in all its fullness we are to be living sacrifices because we taste and touch the life of God we are called to be the most alive people there are not just inanely cheerful at difficult times of life we, there are times when it's right to weep but underneath that within that and in our moments of great joy we know that we are set free to live to share in his life the joy of being forgiven and set free handed over that we might live live as full human beings handed over to be holy as I'm sure you know, the word holy has at its root this idea of being set aside, put aside for something special, sanctified. Holy is not a synonym for boring, lifeless or miserable. The holy things are the most special things. Holy people are the most special people. We should be the most alive and the most special because we have been set aside to bear the name of Christ, to be his ambassadors, to be his hands and feet in the world. We are fully alive. We are fully special. And we are to offer worship which is pleasing to him. This handing over of ourselves is the worship which is pleasing to him. This, these three words describe a life that is handed over, put into the hands of God. 
it does describe a life which is different. A life which will stand out, a life which will not be like other people's. Because it is holy, because it is alive, because it is offering acceptable worship, Several years ago, um, uh, we were praying for one of the, uh, the, the Chandra boys as they went off to university. I think it was Simeon. And uh, we had a little, it was pre-COVID, so we, we always had little sort of scrums up at the frontier. And, and, and somebody said a prayer. And, and Simeon was going off to university. And, and, and this prayer stuck in my mind. It said something like, Lord, enable him to say the right nose, okay, that's the plural of no, not nose, okay, enable him to say the right nose, because behind the nose, there is a greater yes. yes. We say yes to this life of God that is alive, that is holy, that is acceptable to him. That is the deepest and most profound yes. It is the yes for the life of God. It is the yes to being set aside. It is the yes to living as he wants us to live. Because that is how we find life in all its fullness. So yes, there are some no's in that. But behind the no's, there is a greater yes. So how do we do all this? How do we do all this handing over, this putting ourselves into the hands of God? Well, one of the key signs of this is that we no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but we become transformed. The scholars say that another way of translating this verse is to say, stop allowing yourselves to be conformed. Stop allowing yourselves to be conformed but continue to let yourselves be transformed. The work of the Spirit is to both say, we're not going, we're not doing that, we're not going along with that. That is not of us. That is not of God. That is not the holy life. But this is, and we're going to be transformed into this. It is the work of the Spirit, but we have our part to play. We are called to cooperate in, in no longer doing this and instead uh, doing this. Forgive me for, for quoting a bit too much perhaps, but let me read this. Christians still live in this age, but if they understand what God has done for them in Christ, they know that they belong to his new order and therefore cannot be content to go on allowing themselves to be continually stamped afresh with the stamp of this age which is passing away. In the light of the mercies of God, there is only one, proper, there is only one possibility that is properly open to them, and that is to resist this process of continually being moulded and fashioned according to the pattern of the present age. Instead, they are now to yield themselves to the direction of the Holy Spirit. He is to allow, he or she is to allow himself to be transformed continually, remolded, remade, 
so that his or her life here and now may more and more clearly exhibit the signs and tokens of the coming order of God. How might this work? How might it work to be transformed, to no longer conform but be transformed? Do you know, praying that the Lord would help you to spot the big lies of our society. You are what you do. You are what you do. And the more you get paid and the more you have people underneath you, that, that you're doing better. You are what you do. You have to compare yourself with other people, usually on social media, where they're always prettier and having a better time. If only you had a bit more, whatever you want to put in the sentence, then everything would be okay. Consumption is the route to happiness. These are horrible things. And our society says them to us, and particularly to our young people, every day. What a lot of twaddle. But it's evil twaddle. And it gets inside people. And they start believing it. Do not be conformed to this world. You are not what you do. You are created in the image of God. And you cannot make yourself more beautiful, more special, more precious, more loved to him. You have to compare yourself with other people. You do not. He loves you exactly the way you are now. And he cannot love you anymore. And nothing you will do will ever make him love you anymore. If only you had a bit more of time or money or physique or whatever it was, then everything would be okay. It might get you out of a problem in the short term, but it just creates different problems. Jesus calls us where we are, and he loves us where we are, and he will reveal himself where we are. Consumption is the route to happiness. It's really, really not. Joy comes when we go home. When the Father comes running down the road to meet us and wraps his arms around us and brings us back to where everything is that we ever wanted. The Spirit enables us to spot these lies and to say, I am not going to be imprinted by these things. I instead am going to be imprinted by his Holy Spirit that gives me this deeper, more wonderful, joyful sense of peace and security and wonder that I am loved, that I am secure, that I am safe, and that nothing can snatch me out of his hands. Do you remember that children's song, Our God is a Great Big God? Do you remember it? 
there's a bit of a chorus in it. It goes like this. He's known me and he's loved me since before the world began. How wonderful to be a part of his amazing plan. He's known you and he's loved you since before the world began. Don't believe this garbage. Do not be conformed. Instead, be transformed by the truths of the gospel that you are created, that you are loved beyond words, that Jesus has died for you, that the cross and the resurrection opens up the new creation and you can step into it as a son or a daughter of God. And the future is glorious because he has you. So these amazing verses, what do we make of them? Remember God's goodness in view of God's mercy, in gratitude for all that he has done. Offer yourself, your whole self, every part of you, place it into his hands. Become that sacrifice that is living and alive, that is holy and special, that offers acceptable worship to God. And then allow his spirit, allow his spirit to both reject the lies and renew your mind and live this life which is beyond rules and is the best that we can possibly, possibly know. Amen.